Awesome. You guys can be seated. How about we thank our worship team for leading us today. Fantastic job. We, uh, we have a few uh, things I need to mention before we kind of get going. Um, this week, as part of our Finish in the Future project that we've talked about, um, we are beginning a project here in the sanctuary. We get a little facelift, and in, in this wall will uh, be one wall by next Sunday, hopefully. Uh, we're going to fill in the hole and be able to project on our entire wall um, as part of the first step. It's probably the dustiest step of everything. So um, just to prepare you, uh, next time you come, it's going to look a little different. Uh, and it's going to be a process. The, the uh, changes and things in, in this room that have a lot to do with sound and lighting and um, projection will hopefully be completed by Easter time. Um, so bear with us if it's not the normal look and feel that you're used to. We'll get back to um, similar, but just know that there's going to be uh, maybe some extra dust and um, it won't look completely finished until we get it painted and things like that. But uh, uh, we have good, good plans. God's going to do great things, and we're excited to do something new and, and, and thrilling, right? We're excited? Yeah, you will be when you see it. Okay, um, <clears throat> so a couple things before we get rolling. First of all, um, I want to thank Geraldo for um, preaching last week. He did a fantastic job, don't you think? Yeah, he did a great job. Um, we uh, had the opportunity to spend a little time on vacation, and it was very, very relaxing. We did walk a lot, um, but it was still fun uh, uh, to be at the happiest place on earth, right? And um, this week, the, the, I posted a sermon prep question. Do you all see those on Facebook sometimes? Some of them are a little more serious than others. Some of them are a little more engaging than others. But on our trip from the airport to our hotel, um, our driver, Mike, he asked me a question that really blew my mind, that I needed to ask you all. And so the question is, Goofy. This guy right here, um, there it is, Goofy. What is he? Dog, cow, or donkey? And I had no idea what the answer was when Mike asked me. And so I thought, well, I'll ask, I'll ask these very informed people that follow me on Facebook. And I got some really good answers. And if you want to know what the consensus was, you can go on Facebook and look. Um, but... That just was a mind-blowing question to me, because I never thought about, what, what is he? He looks like a dog, but I could see cow, too, because of the long, I don't know. And really, really has zero relevance to what we're talking about today. <laughs> but it was, you know, things that make you go, hmm. So today, we're going to continue to talk about uh, what's possible with God. And uh, we've shared about impossible prayers uh, uh, a few weeks ago. And you know that this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to preach in front of people this year. Because the first time was snowy, and two weeks ago it was COVIDy, and um, I've, I was here when Jennifer was preaching, but I didn't. So this is the first time I've been in front of you um, this year. So you probably didn't miss me, and that's fine. Amen. <laughs> So, 
Uh, but we, we talked about impossible prayers the, the first Sunday of January and um, how, we should, how we should surround, that we should pray circles around, that we should overcome uh, everything in our lives with prayer. And we agreed to circle some items uh, that, that, to get us started. The idea is to take 40 days and just pick something and start to commit in prayer, to focus our prayers, to be consistent every day. And we ask God to help us seek Him first, that that's what we want to be as a church full of seekers. And we ask God to, that we just wanted to pray for our immediate family, because family, they all have different dynamics, they all have different paths, and we all need prayer. And then we ask God to, to, to pray, uh, we prayed to God about this big issue that's going on in our lives, whatever it looks like, whether at work or at home or wherever the, the case is, Right? And then, then the last thing was that we prayed that God would show us what He's calling us to do for Him this year. And I hope that's going well for you, that every day you're, you're praying these things, that you're asking God to, to, and, and you're seeking Him first. And then a couple weeks ago we talked about impossible promises, right? That uh, how God follows through on all of His promises. And the disgruntled Israelites, the ones that they, they thought things would go one way, they didn't turn out the way that they thought they would. But God's promises come true. I mean, He, he fulfills those promises, right? This might not be on our timeline, and it might not be specifically what we thought would happen. But it's all perfect in His time. And, um, and then today, we get the opportunity to talk about impossible faith, and I look forward to that. So, are you the kind of person that can laugh at yourself? Do you like to laugh? Are you able? Uh, you can be serious, right? You can have your game face on, but you have the ability to laugh when you do something embarrassing, okay? And the older you get, the easier it is to do that, right? If you're an a elementary, middle school, high school person, today, it's a little harder to be able to laugh at yourself because you're just not quite fully aware of who you are. But um, we have the opportunity to laugh at ourselves a lot because we mess up, right? Amen. How about this? Are you the type of person that enjoys looking foolish in front of others? A little bit different, right? Okay, we can laugh at ourselves when we mess something up, but looking foolish in front of others, that's a totally different story. Both situations, they can go hand in hand. We can look foolish and laugh at ourselves, right? But, um, but I would bet that most of us don't like looking foolish in front of our peers and our family. It's just not as fun, right? Have you ever had um, an impossible faith that makes you look foolish? in the eyes of man. Now, let me say this. Um, I know the word foolish is pretty extreme, right? We, I don't ever throw that term around. The Bible talks a lot about a fool, right? And it's pretty extreme. Um, so, when I prepare to stand up here um, every Sunday in front of you guys, um, I try to choose words carefully. Uh, I, I try to think that through. I don't want to get them out of place. I don't want to uh, lead somebody down a direction that, that's wrong, right? Um, but because standing here uh, in, in this spot, um, Geraldo can attest to this, Miss Jennifer can too, in the last few weeks, 
sharing about the love and the life of Jesus Christ from this spot, looking that direction, is humbling. It's very humbling. And there are lots of times when you get the Moses complex, like, who am I to be here, right? And that's true. I'm not worthy, but because God gives me some strength, I have the ability to do this. But I choose my words carefully, and sometimes it requires me to be able to laugh at myself, right? Like when I can't say the word responsive reading, um, I usually say responsible. You know, it just, I, I can't say it um, for some reason. I, I look silly, and it's, it's okay, and I say things, but I try to use my words pretty carefully. I, I try to choose the right order and things. So if you don't like the word foolish, I understand. And, but I also understand that if it makes you feel a little tense, that's probably okay too. Because we, don't, we, need, we need to be challenged every now and then to feel a little uncomfortable when we're, when we're sitting where we're sitting. But it is an extreme word. It means, the word foolish means lacking good sense or lacking good judgment. It just means that you're unwise, okay? An impossible faith at times can make you appear foolish in the eyes of the world. Now, the eyes of the world and the eyes of God are different perspectives, right? But it was, because here's what I mean. It was foolish in the eyes of man for Noah to start building an ark. He was nowhere near water. You know, what, what's the big deal? What are you doing building this big old whatever it is? I mean, how did they even know it was a boat, right? So it looked pretty foolish. There was, it was pretty poor judgment in the eyes of man that somebody was using up all this wood and all that. It was foolish in the eyes of man for this little guy named David to go walking down into the valley to face an eight-foot giant named Goliath with just a rock and a slingshot, Right? That, that didn't seem um, very wise to the soldiers, his brothers, that were sitting up in the camp wondering how this is going to come out. It, uh, uh, it was foolish in the eyes of man for Peter to get out of the boat, right? It was, I mean, ask the other 11 that were in the boat. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat. That was pretty unwise, Right? It was foolish in the eyes of man for Joshua and the Israelite army to just take a lap around Jericho 13 times in seven days. And sometimes impossible faith requires us to look foolish in the eyes of the world because, you know, it's just, that's the world, right? Because expressions of impossible faith are what God uses to change hearts. And God rewards that faith. We think about it, right? Think about the reward. Peter, he, it was impossible faith that got him out of the boat, but it was Jesus that made the water walking possible, right? He got out of the boat not knowing if he would sink or swim or, or, or not, but he, he used impossible faith to get out of the boat. Jesus took care of the rest. Impossible faith got David to walk down with no armor or no nothing, just a stone and a sling, and God is the one that made the stone take off and hit right where it was supposed to be. Noah, his impossible faith got the ark built, and God protected the existence of mankind through his faithfulness. And the impossible faith of the army of Israel, who, let's face it, we've talked about it this, the, over the last few weeks, they weren't the most faithful people. They were pretty wishy-washy. 
They, they, they got disgruntled. They didn't like what God did all the time. But it was their impossible faith that got Jericho, got them to walk around Jericho in circles. And then God is the one who made the walls fall down. So let's share a story of impossible faith. And you can find it in the book of Joshua, if you want to go there now uh, and kind of get ready. Uh, Joshua chapter 6 is where we'll be today, and it is the story of the walls coming down, the, the, the city of Jericho. The nation of Israel finally enters the promised land. They're there. They made it in the last couple of weeks. We've talked about um, how they've been outside the camp. They've sent the spies in. They, they had all the quail that they could eat for a month and uh, outside of the promised land. But they, they, they finally got to cross the Jordan River, and they're in the, Can- they're in the land of Canaan. And the Canaanites began to notice these new folk, right? Their neighbor, if you, if you have a house that's open next to you, you notice your neighbors, right? You, and you probably watch them, oh, I want one of those. You, they have one of those. You see what they have moving in to see if you're already going to start to um, identify with them. How are we going to match up? You know, do they have kids? Do they not have kids? What, what does it look like? Well, the Israelites... Uh, were noticed by the Canaan, the Canaanites. And um, Joshua, he leads, leads everybody into the promised land, and they begin to live, right? That's what you do. They t- started to take advantage of the, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And the Canaanites took notice in Joshua 6.1. It tells us that Jericho was on lockdown, basically. Jericho was the, the biggest city in proximity to the Jordan River where they crossed over. And um, basically, Jericho goes on lockdown because of the Israelites. And God's plan included um, uh, Joshua uh, and the nation of Israel to express some impossible faith. He's going to ask them to do something that seems really foolish. It might even look foolish, right? And, and for sure, it would look foolish in the people of the eyes of the people in Jericho, right? Because they're watching this all unfold. But God foreshadows the victory in Joshua 6, 2. He says, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. He's talking to Joshua, and he tells him, listen, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Do you notice that? That it's present tense. And really, it's past. He said, I've delivered. It's already done. Just like the promised land was already promised to them, God tells Joshua, listen, let's do this, all right? He doesn't say, well, I will deliver if you do X, Y, and Z. He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hand. The battle is yours, right? The victory goes to God. And so from that point forward, God reveals this plan to Joshua. He tells them what they're going to do. Here's how we're going to defeat. It's like a debriefing session in the military when they're getting ready to go out into battle. Um, First, though, a couple of, of ideas about Jericho. Historians tell us a lot about Jericho. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, prior to Joshua and the Israelites uh, arriving, Je- Jericho had been there for thousands of years. Okay, and the walls of Jericho were at least twenty-five feet tall, and in some places they were twenty feet wide. Okay, uh, just for an example, Rahab, uh, the prostitute who harbored the spies in Jericho, she lived in the wall of Jericho, and God protected her because of her faithfulness. And the Canaanites, they felt like Jericho was invincible. Nobody could take it. 
right? The walls were too tall. The soldiers could see for miles around because it was an elevated city. It had walls. It was hard to sneak up on them. I've got a couple pictures here. This first one um, is just a picture of what Jericho looks like. Uh, that's kind of what they, they visualize it as they start to undig everything. But you can see there's tiers. It's really tall. And then the second tier is even taller. And it, it seems invincible. The next picture kind of gives you um, an even better idea of what it looked like, the elevation. It had a tall wall, then a steep embankment, and then another tall wall. So it was nearly, even if you got over the first wall, you had to go almost straight up, up over another wall. And in those times, they would, what they would do to get over a walled city, they would just build up dirt. They would make their own road up over the top so they could get everything they needed over. You couldn't do that here. You couldn't do that with Jericho. So they felt like it was invincible. And Joshua gets God's plan for victory. And here's how it starts in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 6. Here's what God tells Joshua you're going to do. Are you ready? March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a shout. And when the wall, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone will go straight in. Pretty simple plan, right? Basically, God tells Joshua, get the army, get the priests, get them some, some trumpets, the ram's horns, get the Ark of the Covenant, which is the symbol of, of God on the earth to them, and then we'll get a few more guards just to make sure that you know, everybody's... And the guards were there, Why? They didn't need protection from Jericho. They were locked down. They were in the walls just in case somebody came out of the bushes, tried to steal the Ark of the Covenant or do something bad. Um, so their job was to circle the city once a day. Blow the trumpets on the way around. And don't say a word in, in Joshua 6.10. It says, But did Joshua commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until I tell you to shout. And then shout. So, very specific directions, very specific plan for God's victory. Just circle the city in obedience. If you can do this, the victory, I've already delivered Jericho into your hands. And dare I say, as you march, maybe pray. He doesn't say this in the, in the text, but I, I would say that's probably implied that we're going to do some praying when we're taking this lap around Jericho and that God will deliver this city to them. And they literally circled Jericho in prayer. So to an outsider, to the Jerichoans, right, the guys up on top, the soldiers on top of the wall, uh, the Canaanites, so they, they would think that this was pretty foolish. Well, look at the new people. Right? They just moved here. They're weird. What are they? They're just walking around our city and, and taking the tour, if you will. And honestly, it probably, it probably felt pretty foolish, don't you think? That they have, to, they have this plan of getting on your armor and doing everything they normally do for battle, but then they're just going to walk around the city. Probably felt pretty foolish if you're a, a warrior. So day one comes, and it doesn't say what day, but probably Sunday. The Sabbath was Saturday. and um, So Sunday, they, day, day one, they line up. The army assembles. Got the army in the front, 
Got the priests with the trumpets, Ark of the Covenant, more army in the back just in case. And they take off. And the Ark of the Covenant, they, 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 they follow, they go all the way around. And they march. And they don't say a word. They take one lap and they go back to camp. And that was their day. Not a very big day, right? Now, the good thing was they didn't lose anybody in the battle. They just walked around, okay? Day two comes, same thing. Line up, march in silence, go home. Day three, day four, day five, same thing, same thing, same thing. Line up, march, go home. Day seven, remember God said, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. Day seven, they woke up a little early. And in verse 15, we read what happens. They wake up a little early. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. They followed directions. They followed the instructions that God gave them. And sometimes impossible faith requires us to go to great lengths, right? To, maybe they even seem foolish to those that are watching. But maybe uh, they seem foolish to us. Like, what in the world am I doing this for? God told me to do it. We're just walking around. That's weird. But the outcome, the outcome results in victory. With our, when we put ourselves out of our comfort zone, that we, we have this impossible faith. What if Joshua decided that day five, they, they would just shout and, and try and accelerate God's plan? Do you ever do that? You ever try and accelerate God's plan for your life? Even though he said, just wait, we prayed, and we pray, we pray. We didn't get a yes, we didn't get a no, we just got to wait. But we try and accelerate the plan. What if Joshua had him shout, on day five. They got around the last day five and they just let it go. Uh, what if they stopped on day six and they just took an off day, right? They, for six days, it, well, nothing's really happened. If we don't go tomorrow, it won't be a big deal. God will still be there. Do we ever do that? Do we ever just pray persistently for something for a while? And they're like, well, no results, so maybe I'll pick that up next week. It happens in our lives too, right? So what if, the, what if the Israelites would have said, all right, day six, nothing's happened. Let's just let's come back next Tuesday. My feet are tired from walking all these circles around Jericho. What if Joshua decided on day five or, or four or whatever that they should just they should do something different than what God told them? They don't follow directions. What if uh, day three they took seven laps and, and weren't being obedient or being faithful? Right? The answer is, well, I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because they did what God asked them to do. They followed through with this impossible faith to trust in God. And even though they might have looked foolish, yes, uh, a bunch of soldiers just circling the city right, in total silence, Joshua and the Israelites, they choose to put themselves out there and have a faith in the impossible. Think about the soldiers, right? What, they're, they're warriors. That's what their job is. And all they do is they get ready for battle and they go take a lap. And then they go back home. And they get home and their kids come and their wife, their spouse comes up and says, Hey, how was the battle? 
Did we do okay? Well, we just walked around. Okay. Second day, what did you do? Was it a good battle? Did, did we lose anybody? You know, no, we just walked around. And, you know, by day four or five, they're starting to get mocked, even by their family. And, hey, here comes the big soldier. The guy just takes a lab. It's like the first uh, idea, the first concept of track. You know, just got to go run a quarter mile around the lab, right? So um, they looked and probably felt a little odd, a little foolish, a little weird. The result, though, what was the re- reward for their faithful obedience? In Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound at the sound of the trumpet, and when the man gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They, their faith, their impossible faith, got them to walk. And when they shouted, it was God that brought the walls down. And they just, they literally didn't have to barely lift a sword to take this invincible city because of their impossible faith. So, here's another story about impossible faith. Um, Early 18, it was late 1850s, um, probably early in the year 1859, a guy named Charles Blondin had established himself as a world-famous tightrope walker. Okay? And if you're going to be famous at something, I guess that's one of them. All right? He was accomplished. He was a great acrobat as well. I would assume he was in the circus and did a bunch of things like that. Um, but he got this crazy idea as a tightrope walker that, see what I mean about not being able to talk, as a tightrope walker to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. All right? So 1,100 feet long. Across that's a one football, one and a half football fields basically, and uh, on this little rope, 160 feet above one of the most powerful waterfalls in the world, and it, and so he he does all this hype around the community, and he tells them, listen, um, I'm coming, I'm going to walk across the, uh, a tie rope across the Niagara Falls, and all the people were like, that's dumb, but we're going to come and watch, right? Because we're all going to do that. All right, and he engaged as many people uh, as he could to come and witness this incredible feat. And the people didn't disappoint, all right? June 30th, 1859 was the day. And I don't even know how they get the 1100, how you find a rope 1100 feet long, for one. But Blondin, he, he arrives early, starts to jack up the crowd, have a little pep rally, probably psyching himself up a little bit. And, uh, you know, a lot of people weren't there to encourage him. They came to heckle him and talk about how there's no chance you're doing this, man. We just came to watch a, uh, you know, the car crash or whatever. You just can't take your eyes off of it. It's going to happen, and, and we know that there's no chance. and no, Nobody's done it before. Okay? You're looking foolish right now. And Blondin, he, he, it's time. He's unfazed by the naysayers. There's plenty of people there encouraging him to. But he jumps on the rope. He walks out you know, just a little bit. You know, there's, it's not too far. You get about 10 feet out, and it's not too far yet to fall. If you fall, you get hurt, probably wouldn't die. And he jumps on the rope a little bit and warms up, and he gets a balancing pole, and he finally, it's put up or shut up time, right? Here we go. And he, he departs across the rope, and the crowd is mesmerized because the rope looks shaky and unstable, and every step looked a little more shaky. And, and it didn't look like 
it was going to turn out well. And people in the crowd were still yelling, hey, you're never going to make it. No chance. This is crazy. And they yelled, you know, this can't be done. So you should just turn around and come back. Just grab onto the rope and shimmy back, all right? Um, and, and this hush falls over the crowd. As he goes across 1,100 feet, and he stumbles a little bit, and he, he's wobbling on the thing, and finally he crosses. And he gets all the way across, and they can all see him. Well, they notice he didn't fall in, and probably some were disappointed, right? That's why they came. But then he comes back. And he just like, he's strutting. And he, he does it with ease because he was playing it up, right? He was playing their, 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 the intensity. He was going to be fine. He crossed back with ease. And the crowd goes crazy when he gets back. He did it multiple times. He goes across. After one successful trip, he throws the balance, uh, the balance pole off to the side, goes back and forth with nothing, just walks across. He takes a chair out into the middle, and he sits down. I assume uh, a chair that's retrofitted for a tightrope, okay? He took his lunch out onto the tightrope and ate his lunch. Crazy. Multiple times he crosses, 1,100 feet one way, and does it with ease. He took some juggling pins out, and he does a juggling routine. He does a juggling routine. In all this time... The, the crowd is just in, is mesmerized. And, and the one last trip, he tells them all, one last trip, and he pulls out a wheelbarrow. All right? And everybody's like, oh, what's going to happen now? The crowd cheered because they knew, hey, we've seen him eat his lunch out there. He can certainly take a wheelbarrow across. Right? And everybody's going nuts until he asked for a volunteer. Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? And I'll take you across. And it was crickets. Right? I would be. <laughs> no chance. No takers. You know, and eventually, his manager, some accounts say it was his mother, okay, but his manager um, volunteers to be his passenger. And he crisscrossed the waterfall on the tightrope with a wheelbarrow with ease. So what do we take away? What do we take away from this impossible faith, because it would take impossible faith to get in that wheelbarrow, wouldn't it? Yeah. It, it, it's something that seems to be impossible. It's not a, you can't do it. It's never been done before. Well, we serve a God of never been done before, right? Here's, here's three takes that uh, I'd like to share. First, whenever we attempt to do something that's never been done, people will heckle and tell, and, 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 uh, and tell us we can't, we can't do it, and, and we can't let that stop us. Just because it's never been done before, just because you've never done it before, and people will be naysayers. The world is full of negativity. The world is full of faithless promises. We're looking at impossible faith, and that's the kind of faith that we have to have. So, if it's never been done before, there will be opposition. It's a guarantee. Um, as the Israelite army was briefed by Joshua how they were going to go and defeat Jericho and how the walls were going to come down, what's the, what do you think their first thoughts were? Are you kidding me? We're just going to walk around? What's going to go? And as Joshua and the army were circling the city, do you think the Canaanite soldiers on top of the wall were having a heyday, making fun of them? They probably threw a few slurs at them, right? 
okay? All these foreigner, weird Israelite people coming into town, doing weird stuff, right? You know, especially on day one, but what do you think it was like by day four and day five? Impossible faith sometimes requires us to get out of our comfort zone in, in a big, big way. And maybe that's what the names on this card are about, that you are not very good at inviting people. You, you just feel a little off. You feel foolish sometimes, inviting people to be a part of a church activity or to come and meet you at church. Maybe it's because you're a different person where you know them. Maybe it's just because you don't know how they're going to react, okay? But impossible faith, it requires us to get out of our comfort zone sometimes. The second thing is this. A crowd, the crowd will watch and it will wait. Some will heckle, some will cheer, there'll be, there'll be uh, negativity, there'll be encouragement, and some will be there to say they just saw, just be there to say it, they, they saw it happen, Right? That's, that's, we don't want to be the last people. We don't want to be the people that are just kind of standing there watching everything happen and then go home and do nothing or say nothing about it. We have to have an active faith. Impossible faith takes action. And then the greatest, uh, the greatest things happen in community when this last, the greatest things happen in a community of believers when watchers stop watching and they start participating. And impossible faith gets in the wheelbarrow. Okay? Joshua's account, it doesn't talk about those in the army that, that thought it was dumb and they couldn't follow through. But do you have a feeling there were probably some of them that were like, we're not doing that. And they take off. We don't read about that. We don't hear about that, but I have a, a pretty strong inclination that that happened because that's what humans are like. Like, oh, that's too hard. I'm not doing that. Or that doesn't seem reasonable. I'm not doing that. Okay? Faith requires action. And at times, that faith, that action, it doesn't make sense. It looks weird, makes you feel foolish maybe, but it takes that action. And the last thing is this, that People recognize, uh, most people, they'll recognize challenges, right? They'll see a need, they'll, they'll see what's going on, but they don't understand how it impacts them, and they have no motivation to be part of the solution. And as seekers, as a Jesus follower, uh, and a seeker of the kingdom of God, we, we might be called to do something we just don't understand. But that's not for us to, to decipher, right? Our job is to be obedient, to have that impossible faith that whatever God's asking us to do, He will do. Remember, He told Joshua well before, I have delivered Jericho. And we cannot allow, uh, uh, we can't allow those type of things to keep us on the sideline just because we don't see the end game. Because that's not faith. If we can see the result then that's not faith. We'll just walk towards it. But if it's around the corner and down the road and we don't know what's going to happen, it requires faith to get there. And we have to get into God's wheelbarrow and allow Him to be the one that navigates our lives and take us across that tightrope. Because impossible faith requires obedient action. God wants us to make, make it worth our effort to get in that wheelbarrow. He already has. He sent His Son, Jesus, He's made it worth our while. And our lives should be this physical testimony, right? Of, of what faith, impossible faith, can, in, in God can accomplish, right? 
And we cannot stop on the five laps around Jericho just because we don't see results. We can't stop being persistent in prayer in, at the end of March when you haven't had the opportunity to invite one of these people to come to Easter service when you just don't just stop, right? you got to keep focused and persistent prayer to seek God's will in our lives every single day. Even more, if it takes that, right? And allow God to deliver Jericho into our hands like He did for Joshua. And we surround our trials and our problems in, in prayer, and we allow God to walk through those situations with us. And at times, we just have to take a cue from Noah and the Davids and the Peters and Joshua's of the world and go against the norm of the world and basically look foolish in the eyes of the world. Because even looking foolish in our faith, because our faith in God does not look foolish to Him at all. He applauds it. We have to put action behind the impossible and allow God to accomplish things only He can accomplish. This whole series of talks and and this motivation for what's possible came from a meeting that we had in December where uh, our church board and a few other leaders got together and we, we planned some things out and we talked about our strengths and our weaknesses and the opportunities that are in front of us, the things that threat are a threat to our church. And one of the weaknesses was this, that we're really good at doing things that we can do, but we're not so great at doing things that only God can do. And that's our church. We need that impossible faith as seekers of the kingdom. God told Joah, I've deli- he called Joshua, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, right? Well before it was even done. So what's your Jericho today? What, what, seem, what, what things in your life are that seemingly invincible obstacle that you just need to walk around and pray through? Is it relationships? Is it work issues, family, business, fractures in your family, mental, financial, emotional, physical problems. We all have a Jericho that, that we need to get in the wheelbarrow and let God roll us around, right? We, we continued, as we continue to be this church full of seekers, and shift from that's impossible, right, this impossible stuff, to what's possible with God. And as we continue to surround all of the items in our life in persistent and focused prayer, we have to remove ourselves from the equation. We have to remove us from the equation. And all the things that we are able to do on our own, that's not faith, right? And let all the things that we feel like we can affect, we have to remove ourselves and insert God, the God of impossible, the God of impossible promises, the God of impossible prayer, and the rewarder of impossible faith, and allow God to do what He does. Let's get in the wheelbarrow. Let's let God take us across and see what He can do in our lives when we express impossible faith to Him. That's our challenge today, and I hope that uh, we begin to continue to move that direction, to see what's possible with God. And don't forget, if you haven't had an opportunity, to write your names down. This is important, and, and it works. 
Because God will give you that opportunity. And I think it would be a great way to celebrate his resurrection, to have that opportunity to meet whoever's on that card. Hopefully all four show up. That'd be awesome. Okay? We'll have to have two services if they all show up, right? That's okay. We'll just sit on the floor or something. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we're so excited that we serve a God of impossible faith. That we know that you will reward us for stepping out and doing what seems unnatural, what seems foolish in the eyes of man, to love one another. What a concept, right? God, we just think our world is so full of indecision and divisiveness and hate. And to love one another as I have loved you. To lay our life down for another. Greater love has no man than to lay their life down for another. That's our goal. That's what we have to do. And it looks foolish in the eyes of the world. And Father, we just pray that you will give us uh, these, these ideas of impossible faith, that we will step out, that you'll give us the boldness that we need, the courage that we need to be faithful to you in all that we do, that we s- continually surround our, our lives in prayer, all of the things that, that go on, to be seekers of you first, to, to find the calling that you have for us this year.